At RWJ Barnabas Health, we have a passion for heart health. With the largest adult and pediatric cardiac surgery programs in the state, a heart transplant program that's top 15 in the nation, a partnership with Rutgers Health, the latest technology and medical advancements, and nationally renowned care for every heart in every one of our communities. Whoever your heart beats for, our hearts beat for you. Let's be healthy together. Visit rwjbh.org heart. RWJ Barnabas Health, New Jersey's largest academic health care system and official health care provider of the New Jersey Devils. Let's be healthy together. Learn more at rwjbh.org. Speak of the Devils is supported by Riverside Oral Surgery, official partner of the New Jersey Devils. Welcome into another edition of the Speak of the Devils podcast presented by RWJ Barnabas Health. I'm Catherine Bogart here with Sam Hassan. We have a very important conversation up next with a former Claude Vilgrain. He is one of the first black players in the franchise and also the first Haitian-born player in the NHL. We understand that some of these stories that he share may be difficult to listen to. However, this is so important that we learn and hear from someone who went through some pretty difficult situations throughout his hockey career. So we wanted to give a warning to our listeners. We understand this might be intense material. However, it is quite important. Our conversation with Claude starts now. Claude, welcome in. We're so happy to have you back. And it's been about a year since we talked to you last. So what have you been up to over that last year? (laughs) Well, you know, I, I, uh, I I have my own company. I design parks and playgrounds. So I've been doing that for about 18 years and then uh, try to get busy. I know with the pandemic, uh, it's um, it wasn't that easy, but uh, uh, with with that, uh, I, uh, I did some big projects. And uh, on top of that, what I do, I do skills development. So I work with kids from uh, 10 to uh, no, pro level. So uh, I like to be on the ice, try to teach, me my, teach, teach them some stuff and then hopefully uh, You'll become a pro as well. <laughs> For any of our fans who are listening in right now who didn't have the opportunity to watch your interviews last year, could we just go back to the beginning when you are a young kid oh, yeah. learning about ice hockey for the first time and you have such an amazing origin story with this sport. So how did you even find out about this game played on ice as the first Haitian-born player in the NHL? Well, I'm pretty old now, so you're asking me to go way back. <laughs> anyway, you know what? It start. My parents, obviously, my parents came from the Caribbean. They didn't know much about the sports. On my eighth birthday, I believe, uh, one of my uncles bought me a table hockey top. You know, the players were Montreal against uh, Toronto. So during the, the party, uh, we played and we played and we played and and I just loved it. So when everybody left, uh, there was a game on Montreal against Chicago. So I thought, hey, I look at it. So I was watching the game and being from Quebec, uh, obviously I was cheering for Montreal. And then Montreal, and I thought Montreal lost 5-4, but I didn't realize that the CH on the jersey of uh, Montreal didn't mean Chicago. So I was cheering for the wrong team. But after that, that was in March. And after that, I told my mom, hey, and my dad, my mom, I said, I want to, I want to play hockey. So um, I watched, that's the year, I think, uh, Montreal beat Chicago in a Stanley Cup final. Uh, Ken Dryden was the, uh, uh, he was a rookie. And that's, that's going back. People are going to start uh, calculating that. 
71. Anyway, <laughs> then the next year, well, we didn't have any outdoor rink back then in our uh, in our community. So, uh, you know, November comes around, we got snow, ice. So we got the jerseys, the socks, and I go in with hockey pants and uh, helmet, skates, and I didn't have any gloves. So my parents didn't know anything about that. So uh, somebody tells my dad, uh, my mom, hey, Claude needs chin pads and he needs gloves and stuff like that. So obviously I got some mittens, but my mom couldn't find anything. So she uh, she uh, she found some uh, Sears catalogs and back then they were pretty thick. And uh, for the people that don't know, we didn't have any online stuff like that. So put the catalogs in my chin pads. Uh, good thing I had those because I was down on my knees all game long. So by the next year, I was able to skate and I was skating around. I played ball hockey all summer and then and all of a sudden I was a hockey player. But from then on, like I would skate every weekend, Saturday, Sunday. I would wake up at uh, you know nine in the morning because I would sleep in and I put my toque on my on my big on my afro, my hockey stick, my mittens, my skates. And I would skate on asphalt, snow, ice, asphalt, snow, ice to go to the outdoor rink. And I spent all day, all day skating. And finally, my poor dad would come and pick me up at nine at night when the lights were on. And, and my friends would look at him on the, on the, on the snowbank uh, watching. And because he walked uh, 10 minutes, 15 minutes to go into the rink. And said, what's wrong with you, Dad? He's not moving. I said, the poor man is frozen solid. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he had a couple of twos, a couple of jackets. His sideburns and mustache were white. And so, but he always believed in uh, encouraging us. And uh, he just came and get me. It's time to go home. But he couldn't stick out. <clears throat> that's, that's how I started. <clears throat> So that's the origin story. How did you go from that to breaking into the National Hockey League? What were some of the steps and developments that got you to the NHL? Yeah, well, back then I didn't think much about um, the NHL. I thought it was just a dream. And I always thought, well, I was I need to be the, the best player in my community, best player in my town, best player in the province, best player, and to have a chance to make it. So it's, it's funny because uh, I was going to private school uh, – uh, Quebec in Quebec, uh, downtown Quebec, across from the Coliseum, which is the rank of the Nordiques back then. And I used to go watch games and the junior game as well. And then, and but my dad didn't want me to play hockey after uh, after my midget uh, uh, season, so he told me to pick up another sport. So I I, I decided to uh, me and my buddies to um, uh, do some ski. So we had a couple of ski hills close to the house. So I was doing ski and then. And then uh, I kept playing, not watching any games, and then no junior games. Basically, I knew I was over. And then, and uh, my last year, midget, our team wasn't that great, and uh, we upset everybody in the playoffs, and we won the league. And uh, during that time, we were doing a, a bilingual exchange with uh, a little town in Saskatchewan. So the first leg, they were they came to our school, we had a good time, and spent two weeks there. And and then we're supposed to go back to Saskatchewan. So I was very excited. Never been west of uh, Quebec. And then uh, so by winning the league, we ended up uh, being selected to go to provincial. And the provincial was, was at the same time as the uh, bilingual exchange. So I had a big dilemma that 
I knew I was going, I wasn't going to play hockey anymore. And that was a chance for a lifetime. And then our best goalie, our best forward, the best D, he said, the heck with this. I'm going to Saskatchewan. So I felt bad. And that would have been my last hockey. So uh, I went to the tournament and we uh, we lost the first game, nine, nothing. And I thought, my God, I could have been a hay somewhere in Saskatchewan at the farm having fun. But so we, in the next game, we won in triple overtime. The next game, double overtimes. All of a sudden, I was the key guy because the top guys were gone. And, and then we ended up in the finals against a team that uh, beat us 9 nothing, And uh, I, we won that game. And uh, the funny thing is, I could see my dad in the stands and people were talking to him. And he looked very annoyed. Different men would come with pads and those are scouting hats and try to figure out who the frick I was. Because uh, I uh, one of the things that when I played... and. We had the tryout, triple A tryouts, double A tryouts, and I would make the team easily, but my buddies didn't make the team. So I thought, hey, I'm going down with my buddies. I would score 70 goals and stuff like that, but I never played at my level. And so nobody knew who I was. And so they saw me there. I got drafted late. Obviously, my dad didn't want me to go there. And so they kept coming and visiting from Montreal and then. Finally, my dad got mad. He signed the pepper paper, never talked to me for two weeks. I went there. He, he never thought I was going to make the team because I was too nice. And I made the team. So he was shocked. So <laughs> and the rest of the street. But my first, my, my first game was hard, though. Uh, I thought my first game, it was the moment that uh, I had to decide if I wanted to be a hockey player or not. And... Uh, so we're playing a rival. Uh, I was in Laval, and we're, we're playing a rival in Montreal. So after after the um, after rank was Montreal fans, and the other half was our team. Uh, so that was a home game. So I jumped on the ice. My first junior game. I'm pumped. There's about three, four thousand people in the stands, and I cross over uh, on the other side of the the fans, and they started on me. Yeah, bula bula bula. Go back to Africa. Taxi, taxi. I guess there was a lot of Haitian taxi drivers in Montreal. I, I didn't never realize that. And all game long, that was my worst hockey game. I didn't want to skate on that side. If we had a face-off on that side, I asked my buddy to switch with me. And I went I went back to my billet. I, um, I, I sat in the corner. I turned off the light. And I, uh, I, I, I had to settle down. I couldn't breathe. I uh, spent the whole night in that corner in the dark, and I say, and I told myself, if if you want to be a hockey player, you got to suck it up because that would be your journey. And you know, I was coming, for, you know, I was coming for a little uh, suburb in uh, Quebec City, protective suburb, I guess, going to private school. And I know playing hockey always, uh, you know, the old N word. You know, I score five goals in a team. What they wanted to shake my hand, and word this, and word that, and one of the reasons my dad never thought I would make it because I was that type of player. A guy could could be on me all game long, slashing me, hooking me, and word left and right, and and then I would bump into him. He would fall, and I would excuse me and help him up. So that's the way it was. So. To this day, a lot of my friends and uncles and dads, they can't believe I, I, I played pro. And so, but, you know, sometimes you need something to, uh, to figure it out. So, I had to change who I was, even when I played. And uh, some of the teams didn't know if they, they knew, they'd known uh, my past, they would say, oh, my God, it's not the same person at all. So, 
that was my start. <laughs> now you know the rest of the story. <laughs> yeah, and Claude, yeah, it's a difficult situation to hear all of that. And we do want to jump into that more in depth about what it was like being a black hockey player. But before we want to continue on with your career and Sam wants to ask you some more questions on that, just because it'll all tie together. We want to talk about the impact of being a black hockey player. So before we get to that, because we are so sorry that you did go through that, it's absolutely unacceptable behavior. However, we want to continue with your journey because you did end up inspiring quite a few people with that next level. So Sam, take it away. I just wanted to express some condolences there for that behavior that you had to (laughs) face in your junior career. That's horrible. You know what, Catherine, Uh, at the end of the day, because I was 17, but there's some, there's tons of stuff that happens to me. And then uh, my dad always told me, this is going to be uh, your path. This is you, 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 this is going to be your journey. You have to decide because people will try to cut you down, uh, looking for reason not to have you on teams and you know, make sure you don't give them that chance. So I could tell you a story. I don't know how many bananas got thrown at me and the monkey uh, signs in the in the stands, but I told myself I would never, ever, ever let them get back, get to me like it did at my first hockey game. And that's what my dad always told me. And every time that happened, I had my best game because I needed to have a good game. So go ahead, Sam. <laughs> I know. I mean, yeah, certainly we want to touch on that. And even, I mean, I guess, because it is part of the journey, um, but where do you find the strength to go through that? I, I mean, Obviously, that's something you, you have to deal with, but even just having the the patience to, and to not lose your temper. And as you said, this guy's doing all these things to you, and then you bump him and knock him over, and you're helping him up. Like, where do you find that kind of compassion to well, be able to? This fear? is my upbringing. Uh, my dad was, uh, you know, my dad was, he was big on education. He was big on uh, being an honest person and a good person and be respectful. And the funny thing is those stories I was telling you that that's when I was like, uh, you know, U10, U11, U12. And midget one year, I, I had enough one guy all game long. And for the first time I lost my mind, I, I went the berserk on the guy uh, and almost like broke his jaw and uh, I got kicked out and I was in the dressing room. I didn't want to come out of the dressing room. I thought my dad was going to be so mad. And I thought he was going to like to want to punch me, but he's not that type of man. But so everybody left. I was still in the dressing room. I was so scared. And finally, I, I, I decided to go in the lobby. And my dad goes, finally, finally, you decided to do something about it. I say, what? You're not mad at me? No, I was hoping that you do something like that. So things you don't know. So, And that, that was one of the moments I thought, like, uh, yeah, it's okay being aggressive. It's okay. Uh, uh, and 72, uh, the, the, the series, uh, Russia against Canada, super series there. I love the Russians. And I kept telling everybody, I want to play like the Russian. I want to play like the Russian. But they kept telling me, yeah, you got to fight more. You got to do this. You got to do that. And yeah, but I want to play like the Russians. And, and uh, yeah, that's all. That's all kind of that. That's the makeup of who I am, basically. And then and then uh, when I, I, I turned pro, uh, I started with Team Canada. I got invited several uh, NHL training camps, but I wanted to experience the uh, 
the international hockey. I want to play against the Russian, like the Russians. <laughs> and then, uh, and, uh, and then, uh, yeah. So, uh, I don't know. I could tell you a little bit my first experience with the national team before the Olympics. So, so I thought I was a pretty good hockey player. Um, uh, in preparation for that big tournament in Russia, uh, the Izvestia Cup in '86, we played against the Russian teams and uh, beat select team, a team from Romania, German teams, and I was doing pretty good. And about Jesus, it's nothing to this international hockey. And fast forward, we go to the Christmas tournament in Izvestia in Russia, and we're playing the first game against the the the, the big Russian team with Fetisov, Kazatonov, and Larionov, Krutov, and Mark Makarov. And I thought, geez, yeah, I'll show him how good I how good we are. And I won the I won the draw first play against Larionov. I thought, here you go, here you go. And I don't think we touched the puck once after that. And we almost <laughs> we almost fell to go to the ref and say, can we have a puck to play with, please? And uh, <clears throat> I was talking to Dave King uh, about that uh, not long ago. We were in a dressing room and quiet, and we didn't know what to do. This is this, this was another level. And that moment, Dave King uh, knew that he, he got our attention and. We got to ask whipped, but the next year we went before the Olympics, we went to that tournament and then we beat them. That was one of the biggest upset and, and we won their tournament so much. So they didn't have a, a national anthem. They, um, they, they, they played the Russian anthem. And uh, so, so we signed the Canadian anthem so loudly. Uh, they never lost that tournament. And that was uh, three months after uh, Canada and Mario Lemieux beat uh, the Russian and the Canada cup. So, that that team we beat after Team Canada beat so, so we were pumped for the Olympics and uh, yeah so, that was my international and after the Olympics that's when I joined the Canucks and I started the NHL. Oh, you just have the most incredible life story. Like I absolutely <laughs> love hearing it. And like, first off, thank you so much for being so vulnerable with us and sharing this. And we we really do want to get some more insight on the lessons you learned as a black hockey player in this league and everything, but you bring up the Olympics. And since it is very timely as the Olympics are going on right this minute, let's talk about what that Olympics was like. You played for them in the 1988 Olympics. How was the whole experience as being an athlete playing hockey at arguably one of the biggest stage stages yeah. for this sport? That was amazing. Uh, the Olympics were in Calgary on home soil. The only thing uh, I would change is uh, we had some leeway so we could see our families between uh, games and we kind of lost that total experience. Um, but we got to go to the uh, Japan, Jamaican uh, bobsleigh uh, party at uh, the village to help them pay for their sleigh. But uh, it started the first day like when Canada was the last team to get in the stadium and, and that was amazing. The place was so loud. It was cold, but... Uh, uh, that uh, uh, that was amazing, and then we uh, we didn't do as well as we wanted to uh, because of the playoff format. But uh, you know, playing in front of your country against uh, international team, and then being in the village, meeting people from other countries, other sports, that was amazing. And playing was great. Uh, we finished fourth, and uh, but that was an unbelievable experience. Uh, and then like every time I watch the Olympics now, uh, and I hear. Uh, 
people saying that, oh, that's first Olympic, blah, blah, blah. And I said, geez, I did it myself. Uh, and then I'll keep that with me forever. I, I'm an Olympian. So that was a great experience. And the hockey was fabulous. And now with this Olympics, and there's a lot of Canadians that are doing very well right now, snowboarding, and um, there's mm -hmm. been all across the board in all the aerial sports for sure for Canada. What yep. have you been glued to so far for the Olympics, and what are you most surprised about this year? Well, you know what? I watched the um, I, I watched the um, um, uh, the Canadian team, the, the game be uh, between the U.S team i uh i trained some of those girls in a, a couple of summers ago uh doing some skill stuff even like uh, uh girls uh, even like a uh, decker was in calgary so uh i i work with her uh, bellamy um for you know doing skill stuff while the the league was shut down but uh, you know i'm watching those girls and uh you know, I, I coached my daughter for nine years and then I got a little uh, soft spot for uh, women's hockey and I love the way they play and, and a bunch of university girls that train every summer. So I watch them. I watch the other sport, the new sports like aero sport and just to try to figure out some of the sports. And you know what? So one, one thing I'm really looking forward is a Paralympics. Uh, our, our hockey program here in Calgary, we, um, we have the sledge team and uh, before I go on the ice every day, I see the national team and practicing. It's just amazing. Uh, even if I, I would play against them on their skates, I think they would beat us. They're so quick. They're so skilled and top shape. And, and watching them, like even, you know, some guys got one leg, no legs, and it's amazing. And that's, you know what, that's what I'm looking forward to uh, watching. I, I watched a skier going down the hill the, last night. One, one a lady, one arm, one leg. And going down is amazing, and then that's what I'm looking for the most. Well, that's that's absolutely awesome. I wonder if that brings back some memories to your Olympic days when you're watching these current athletes. You you kind of see that and think, oh man, I was I was in their shoes not too long ago. And I understand the effort, the four years of preparation. Uh, our national program, the four year program, uh, we uh, I, I did the last two. Uh, and I know I, I can understand what they call, they're going through. We traveled the world from uh, Alaska to Moscow, and we saw all the small town USA, Canada. We went to East Block, West Block, and and that was hard because a lot of traveling and seven games and eight nights in uh, eight uh, six different countries. And and but we all had the dream is to be on the ice uh, for the first game of the Olympics and. And it was all worthwhile and it was amazing. And, you know, got your friends, your family is watching and you're playing against teams from other countries, other language and, and you battle hard for the same goal. So that was, that was an amazing experience. And after that, obviously you jump to the NHL, you mentioned Vancouver. How did you go from Vancouver? How did you get your start with the Devils organization? Because I know you played both in New Jersey and Utica. And what was that experience like playing for the Devils? Yeah. So uh, yeah. So uh, after the Olympics, I flew to uh, uh, to Vancouver and I played the last six games. And then uh, the next year, I got sent down to the minors. And uh, the mistake I made is signing with a team that didn't have a coach. And that coach, I wasn't this type of player, so I had no chance. And then, uh, so I got sent on a loan to Utica, and I wanted to get traded. I kept asking. Uh, Pat Quinn to trade me if you didn't want me to there. So I got to Utica. Didn't have a clue who Utica was. I was in Milwaukee uh, 
we were like uh, 23 and two, like we're the best team in the league. And then, uh, and then uh, I went to uh, on the road places like Flint, Fort Wayne and stuff like that. And during my trip, I got my third player of the week in the uh, hockey news uh, player of the week. So I was playing well and too well because they wanted to play their, the younger guys. So I didn't play the last game on the road trip. And then when I got back, I got a call at four in the morning. They said, you're going to Utica, New York. And I said, Utica, New York? Where the hell is that? So obviously back in those days, you couldn't go on the internet. So I was going to all the stores looking for hockey news. And I finally found one and I see Utica Devil. One win, 15 losses. And one tie, I said, I'm going from 25 and two to that. So anyway, I got my skate, uh, landed in Rochester at uh, Syracuse, I think. And then Tommy McVie was waiting for me there. And I, I, I was told he had the big voice. And I see that little man coming in. It's like, what? <laughs> and hey, welcome to uh, Utica. <laughs> and then, uh, and then uh, yeah, so I went, uh, my first practice, went well and then we played our first game and we won and then I, I found a coach that liked me and I was perfect fit we won 15 green games straight and I know Tommy was trying to ask Lou to uh, you know to trade to get a trade for me because all the teams wanted to 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 uh, he's talking to Vancouver to uh, get me on their team so uh, Tommy was panicking and then uh, Finally, at the end of the year, I got injured, so I never got to. I got traded to the Devils during the season, and then uh, I got injured, so I never got to go up. And then after that, I had some good camps, but uh, those days we had too many guys on one ways. And then Lou kept saying, "Be patient, be patient." And finally, my last uh, uh, the ninety one ninety two season, I wanted to go to Europe. You know, I had enough to uh, play in the minors, and then uh, Lou said, "Okay." I had a place to go to Switzerland and he had to send us some release paper or whatever. And then he wasn't doing anything, any of that. And then finally uh, I got a letter saying I'm going to training camp. So I got to the training camp and I played like, there was like, we had, I think 11 exhibition games and I played 10 of them and I played them on the left wing. So I didn't know what was going on, but I would play in a, a game in Boston and then I would get on the Mr. McMullen uh, uh, private plane and flew to San Diego to meet uh, Team B and play against uh, San Jose. So I, I, I was scoring points. I was playing well. And then uh, one day I was at uh, the hotel when the season was over. I had two goals and two assists against the Islanders at uh, at, at, at the last preseason game, but nobody told me anything. So I would go to practice and I would go straight back to my hotel. My wife was there, pregnant, eight month pregnant. And I didn't, I didn't, I was hiding from Lou. I was hiding from everybody. I didn't want nobody to tell me I was going down to Utica. So I, I was talking to my agent. And so he, he said, well, go ask Lou. She's going to find out one way or the other. So I went to the office and said, Lou, uh, I'd like to know what's, what's my status with the team because we're in a motel there and my wife is not comfortable in the bed and stuff like that. And he goes, oh, you didn't find a place yet? And no, nobody told me. Oh, yeah, you're on the team. So it's, oh, my God. So I didn't know that. So I, I leave the office and I went around the corner. And like, yes, finally I made it. And then I told my wife and I thought she was going to have the baby there, but... 
So we looked for a place and that was a great year. So, so it went well. And then I, again, I, I got an injury, Gorn injury, just uh, it was a hernia uh, just uh, before the end of the year. And I had a tough time skating in the playoffs. And, and then the next summer I had to negotiate my contract and went to arbitration with Lou and didn't turn out well. And then signed with the Flyers and ended up going to Europe after that lockout in 94. I had enough. Before I turn it over to Catherine, one final for you is any big games or big memories, moments from that season with the Devils, whether it's going head to head against an opponent or a big goal you scored or anything that really jumps out to you? Yeah, so uh, I, I I got a concussion against Pittsburgh. I missed a few games and I was kind of nervous, you know, when you're uh, you're not the uh, top six, uh, top six forwards. Uh, uh, there's always somebody uh, ready to replace you, guys like Billy Guerin in uh, in the stands watching games. And so I came back. I finally, I came back after two games and I, I scored two goals, I think, two assists against uh, the Flyers. And, and uh, you know, I, I knew I was a bona fide NHL guy that could play. And I always remember that game. And that, that gave me a lot of confidence. And uh, my game uh, changed. I, I, I was more... Uh, I was more confident. I, I took more charge in the place, even though I, I could have been on the ice with Peter Stashny. Instead of being in awe, giving the puck all the time, I would make plays and things like that. So, uh, yeah, that's one of uh, the moment. And the other moment was that uh, the, I scored the day of my, uh, the day my, uh, uh, the, the night before my first uh, uh, daughter was born. We're in Toronto and uh, I had a great game there. Played the uh, score two goals, I think two assists. Flew right away to uh, Jersey, and then she had the baby a few hours later. So, those are the two moments I remember the most. So, Claude, you had this incredible career, and you're playing for the Devils. And I know when we talked last year, you said that there was a moment late in your career when you had already been in Europe representing Team Canada. When you yeah. realized that you actually impacted the lives of other black athletes and black hockey players. And I was hoping you would be able to share that story with us. Sure. Um, you know, like when you, 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 you play, uh, you play a professional, you got ups and downs. you go to Utica, you go to New Jersey, you get traded to Vancouver. You're, you're focusing on your career. And, and uh, it's not like we had the internet. We see what, what's happening in other leagues or college or junior and you focus on your game. So, I go to Europe and then uh, play in Switzerland and, and I get invited to, um, to play uh, uh, at the Spangler Cup. So I, I drove to Davos and uh, we had a couple extra players. We had Martin St. Louis and uh, Jamal Myers. And so they're a college kid. So I was uh, fixing my sticks and that kid kept standing beside me just staring at what I was doing and it was Jamal and I said what's up brother <laughs> he said yeah you know me and the boys at college you know we followed your career man finally somebody looks like us that uh, played the NHL played in the Olympics and we would would meet in the dorm somewhere and and then at the tv the popcorn and some pops and then watch you play and cheers and now I get to skate with you and at that moment, I said, eh, "Well, yeah, well, that that was weird." And then, and then, uh, you know, I got to know him a little bit, and then, 
And then after that, I had an issue that happened to me. Uh, we, uh, uh, a reporter wanted to uh, mic me. Uh, he wanted to see how my leadership skills, how I deal with the, the teammates speaking some German, some French, some English. And so we had a home game and then the, the mic didn't work. So he said, okay, we'll do it another game. So then we go to the worst place ever for me. Uh, I had so much, so many problems there. Uh, a team in Switzerland, just by the border of Germany, where the biggest concentration of uh, skinheads are. And I had all kind of problems, you know, the monkey sounds, the bananas and stuff like that. And so we go there and, and that was a chance to beat that team for a uh, two. Uh, beat that team so they get out of the playoffs and that was uh, uh my last year playing anyway and so i played hard but uh after the warm-up uh that reporter comes in and he has the mic he wants to put the mic on and i thought hmm, i don't know if it's the right place to have a mic here and then um, so whatever you know last time we were here there wasn't as bad so i get on the ice for the game there's a blow up banana from blue line to blue line, a huge blow up banana with my name on it. And I thought, oh, shoot. And I forgot about the mics. And like any other of those games, what they would do, they had what you call an import killer. So yeah, the import line, the top, no, the, 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 no the, let's say the Canadians and the rest were Swiss, but the second line, you had the, the brave Swiss. And you always have a they call it an import killer. His job's sole job is to follow the import. But what that guy was doing, he was calling me chimpanzees all the time and stuff like that. And then all game long, a chimpanzee, chimpanzee, banana, and the fans, like the monkey sound every time I had the puck. And uh, there was uh, my right winger was a, 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 a little black kid, Swiss black kid. Uh, and he was adopted, but... Uh, he was getting frustrated. He was taking penalties and the people got bizarre and we won that game. And I said, finally, we're over, but on the way out throwing stuff at me. And so I was kind of, I almost felt the same way I felt my first game when I, I went back to my dorm and I needed to uh, relax. And then finally the reporter came in, removed the mic and I didn't notice him removing the mic. So that was tough to go back in the bus. The police was there. So the next morning uh, I wake up and then uh, uh, I, I got about 20 text messages. Go check the paper. So I go out, get a newspaper. There was a, a, a middle section, about 20 pages, pictures. I guess in the news, the, the, they played the, my mic and then you could hear the sounds, the racial comment in German. So I didn't know some of the, the stuff the players were telling me. The only thing I knew is the monkey sound, the word chimpanzee and banana. And then uh, I got hit in the face a few times. I faced off on a banana, with, by a banana. Anyway, so I had to do interviews. Uh, Italian television, German television, French television. And after that, they had had to meet with the league. There was, there was some suspension. And uh, everywhere I played there, we had some, uh, uh, some uh, police watching. And after every game, there was a mother coming in with her kid, uh, could be adopted kid, uh, every game on the road, one or two kids thanking me. And because since they're like little tykes uh, and they're like five, six years old, uh, they, uh, 
they get you know hassled and then they they were told to go back to their country uh, you you're killing our uh, social systems uh, you're stealing our money and all that and and you know like you're five six years old and it starts there and every single game and then i realized that uh i have an impact on people and then uh, just before i come back i came back uh to canada uh, uh jerome ginla got traded to uh uh, to the Flames from Dallas, and he was going to play his first game when I was coming back. And the Germans mentioned that I was one of the guys that they look up for when he uh, he played. And uh, I talked to Jerome several times since, and I see I saw him in Calgary and stuff like that. And uh, I know he told me that he wanted to be a goalie, and uh, and they saw me play. Then he wanted to be a forward, and he was shooting left, and then he wanted to shoot right because of me. And then. Uh, so I made sure I uh, I bought a ticket. Uh, somebody buy a ticket for me before I come back to Calgary, and I came back. I was right behind Eddie Belfort, and I watched uh, Jerome scoring his first goal. And then, and then I never had the chance to talk to him for many for many years. And uh, and then I was coaching Cassandra, and Cassandra wanted number twelve, just like him. And uh, and then one day uh, I bought him a Calgary Flames hat with number 12 on the back and I was putting her to bed and she had a hat in her hand. And then she goes to me, uh, Hey daddy, can you ask your friend Jerome to sign, uh, to sign my hat? <laughs> and I, I never, I never ask anybody an autograph in my life. And, you know, just the reason was there was, uh, I was about an hour away from my billet one year and then, uh, and the bus system went on strike. So I had to hitchhike my way back and nobody picked me up. I went, I walked five hours straight home. And then, uh, and then, uh, well, that wasn't the, the, the part of the story, but I had, and I actually, sorry, I sidetracked here, but we had the, Gil Effer was my adult. He came, I was nine years old. He came to one of our games, another game that he, they were doing a, a charity event and after that we could ask uh, for a, an autograph and they had a bunch of players there and then I just wanted Guy Lafleur and by the time I got to him and he said sorry sorry kid I'm done he left and I was standing there nine years old with my pen and my paper no autographs and all my buddies were laughing at me and I thought I would never ask um, I never ask uh, for an autograph to anybody. And so she asked me that and I thought, okay, Jerome is playing tonight, last game of the year. He's, going, he's trying to go to score 50 goals, and which he did. And he was on the ice for uh, um, after hours, um, interview on the ice. So I had the, uh, I don't night pass so I could go down and wait. So I waited a long time because those things last for a while. So he came up, he came out with uh, uh, the PR guy and uh, asked for an autographs and and we talked a little bit but you know that's uh, some of the things uh, you don't realize you're 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 playing you're trying to make it and you you got ups and down and and uh, disappointments and good times and then you have your family you don't realize what I know the the impact I had like just by the non the sheer numbers of banana I got thrown at. That's the only impact I knew I had. And then, you know, people don't understand that 
And 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 when I see kids, I see little Clodies all the time when I go to the ring. I see a, a midget team, Bantam team. They're 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 warming up, and there's only one black kid, and he's friend with the buddies, and he goes on the ice. And I get, I still get calls of people telling me, well, he was in a penalty box, and one of the parents called him a name and stuff like that. So I talked to a lot of those kids, and then, and so uh, for me, I realized the. That's when I really realized the impact and whatever I do now is for that new generation. Uh, that was my path. Uh, if you look at my hockey DB, I could, I, I know millions of people, they would give an arm and a leg just to do a third of what I did, but they don't understand the path. They don't understand them. I get a shit from the coach on the bench. I get on the ice. Uh, one guy tells me the N words. Fans, I'm not doing monkey sounds. And I come back on the bench and get shit again. So I, I always, and one of the things is, I always said, uh, our, our generation from Willie, uh, between Willie Ori and the Piki Subans of the world, we look the other way. So every time I put my foot down, I wanted to uh, defend me, and I said, well, suck it up, or what happened to him? And I know one time in Jer Jersey, I got so mad, and all of a sudden, I got all the reporters afterwards in the dressing room asking me, what did Sundin say to you? You know, and then I didn't want to say anything, start anything, and then, but, uh, but uh, yeah. So it's me. You know, uh, uh, I had a great career, I think, and I got a great family. And my daughter ended up playing. I ended up coaching. I did a lot of coaching. I, I do well as a coach, and uh, I give back. And then, like I said, uh, I uh, I part of that BIPOC. Uh, uh, coaching NHL Association, and we do a lot of networking and, and stuff like that. And I get involved, and I do a lot of stuff like I know Black History Month. That's when I come out of the come out of the closet and start talking about my story. And it needs to be heard. I think uh, uh, the new generation got it hard a little bit as well, and but they're making more money. <laughs> it's easier to take. But uh, uh, no, this is like I said, uh, my hockey DB. Uh, it's good. Uh, that was my journey. That first game I played junior, I had to make a decision. And and I realized, I'm realizing also I could have been in the real world and have the same issues and uh, feel that I missed out on my dream to be a hockey player. The impact of even you just continuing to exist in a sport that was not accepting is so monumental and we once again like thank you for sharing this with us and we're so sorry you went through this and uh i i, I work i help out my ex-agent and then with kids in the uh in the uh in the western part of canada here and we have a couple of uh, black kids uh, on our teams and and brown kids and i made sure i had the conversation i have the conversation with the kids because uh, you know some kids never never experienced that and they might they will so i want to make sure they're prepared and i tell my story in a funny way uh, i i never try to tell my story like it's a sad story and uh, there's tons of stuff i can even like say online <laughs> that happened to me but i try to turn it as a uh, uh, 
not as a joke, but uh, lighter way, and but it's still same impact. And uh, once a year, I go uh, do a presentation and I talk about a little bit like uh, we do right now, but um, pre-pandemic, uh, there would be hundred people, and I tell my story, make them laugh, and then all of a sudden they got they get quiet, they get quiet, and then when it's done, you got some women in tears. So um, I don't want people to feel bad for me. Uh, my, my focus is the new generation. You know, even Cassandra. Cassandra uh, had, the, you know, some stuff happening. Obviously not as bad. Uh, but one thing, like I told a story and that shocked her. Uh, we were in Frankfurt and uh, we were doing well. And so we won a game. And when you go back on the field, you wave the fans. And then, then you leave, and then they want an encore. They call you back on. And so what we do, we go back on the ice, and we get our kids. So uh, Cassandra was two, and uh, Ashley was five, so uh, four or something. And then uh, one of my teammates, single guys, would pick up uh, Ashley, and uh, I would grab Cassandra. And so we go around the rink, and the, those days the, the glass were lowered. So the fans, we high-five the fans. And I'll, we get to one fan, and and then he gives a banana to Cassandra, and it was, uh, you could tell it was a skinhead, and he went fly, running upstairs, and Cassandra was out asking a banana, I say, hey, "Daddy, banana!" And that's the first time ever. If Cassandra was in my arm, I would have gone in my skate, chased that guy upstairs. It's the first time since that first uh, junior game that I felt like that. And not even the uh, the mics and the bananas, they weren't, but the, that moment was the worst I think it was. And then, yeah, so the, the young generation don't need that. No, you, you talk about the young generation not having to deal with that, but that really is the key because we talk about racism. A lot of it does seem to be obviously learned because kids don't know the difference. You know, they don't know right and wrong, good and evil, those kinds of things. These things are kind of taught to them. so. Do you look at that as the key and what's it like being part of kind of that solution progressing obviously a long way to go but we have come a long way from where we've been it's uh i always say it's all about education and so in our program i work with kids sometime from five to uh 18 and uh, yesterday like i and, and then i got a couple of groups that I, I train as a team not just skills and then we play games and uh, I got a group like they're nine years old and they, um, you know, like, and their coach having fun with me, they do everything as, you know, they don't see any difference. And the question is when they turn, you know, when they see some might have a bad experience with uh, brown people, black people, Chinese people, and then they got issues. But uh, I know the way we raise their kids. And every time I, I see my grandkid as well is 14, you know, plays with a little uh, kid from Hindu, India, a little kid from Japan, a little, little not a black kid. It doesn't see any difference. So when that turns, and and so that's why education is um, is important. And you know, podcasts like this one, people hearing our stories, black is to, uh, the black museum, uh, the truck, the black museum trucks, things like that. And uh, you know, just I'm telling you guys stories. I'm sure there's some stuff you never heard. And uh, you know, and then it's, uh, you know, things are going to change. Uh, uh, the new generation is going to be like my daughter's, like, you know, you know, like mixed race. So 
So things are going to change, but uh, you know the problem is still the old the old generation. Uh, you could see that. I know the NHL is trying hard to uh, to uh, uh, to change that, but uh, they still don't understand hundred percent. They try to do stuff, and I know Cassandra when she works with the uh, the hitmen, and uh, sometimes she's she's trying to uh, do some stuff, but there's still some political stuff happening. So they still have to tread water slowly type of thing. So, but uh, it, it, it's better than it was. People are more aware and uh, people hear stories I never heard. And I got uh, guys calling me and and uh, asking me questions. Like one of my good friends on the team, uh, Tom Chorsky was one of my best team on the team, best friend on the team. And uh, he, had to call, he called me because uh, during the Floyd thing and, he, he started hearing all the stories and he said he went to school with black kids and stuff like that. And he thought it was just normal. And he wanted to make sure like we had a good relationship, nothing like that ever happened. And I, I said, you're good, man. You're, you're my best friend on the team. And so, so what, what's happening when I play things happen to me and I, I don't, I don't say anything to anybody. Uh, I know uh, I got interviewed by George LaRock. He has a show in Montreal and he asked me, uh, what did your parents say about that? And then it dawned on me. I never told him. That first game when they they were making monkey sounds like when I was junior, my parents were in the stands. They never, no, they were Asian people. They they never got a clue. They're happy to see me after the game, big hug, and they went back to Quebec City. And then the last couple of years when uh, uh, Black Lives Matter was uh, permanent and stuff like that, and I was getting interviewed, telling some of the stories, like, you know, even after this story, he might say, my brother might say, I never knew that. I never knew that. He's only one year old, uh, younger than me. And uh, and uh, I realized I never said anything to my parents. They never knew. And they're finding out now, like, almost like 40 years later. By the way, uh, I ran into uh, uh, a special event there, and Guy Lafer was there, and I told him about... Uh, nine years old and he felt bad and he signed an autograph and sorry 41 years later <laughs> so i got finally got my autograph hey, <laughs> you finally got that autograph that's awesome yeah. 41 years <laughs> later comes back around yeah uh, i do want to touch on that because uh, obviously there was a recent incident with pk suvan and his yeah. younger brother yeah. jordan went through that and you mentioned you went through all this stuff and just didn't even think twice about saying anything or bringing up does does that do we need to Bring it up do we need to call attention to these things to have these conversations to try and progress or do you think that's part of the solution uh, we need to uh, we need to it's same from that breach uh that player in chicago um too many times they they ask you to uh turn the other way i don't know how many times every time i put my foot down and i want to do something and either the coach or the gm said like uh, either suck it up or I forget about it, Plo. Just play your game. He's a he's a jerk. He's an asshole. Oh, sorry, I didn't want to say that. But, but uh, yeah, so uh, my era, we uh, didn't do too much because every time we got mad, I was just an, another angry black man. And and then right now, the kids don't need that because people what they don't understand that one little black kid, that one little uh, uh, brown kid on the team. Even though I got guys with still uh, some uh, buns on their head, or I uh, coach girls with hair going down their back in the back of their skates, 
they want to be they want to be uh, Jerome McGinley. They want to be Connor to McDavid. They got they go to Flames games. They got a little turban on their head, but they got a, 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 a Jerome McGinley or a, a Johnny Goudreau jersey on, you know. And they just want to play. Just they they just want to be like I was, like putting my toque on my head and skates on asphalt, ice, snow, and freeze my butt off for like nine hours. And then, and having fun with my friends, and I, I, I never, see, I never see me as the only black guy on the team. The only time I, I know I, I was a black guy is I see my reflection in the glass or team picture. And every year, team picture, there's always that one guy that had a match, a bag of matches, and with one burn match. Hey, Claude, team picture. So I just, they are like any other kids, you know if we knew it's going to be hard, like we weren't allowed to play, I don't think we would go, but uh, you just want to be any other kid. That's all. We, I mean, you, you nailed it there. You know, you just wanted to be any other kid. You didn't want anything to be defined by that. So for these fans listening who may have kids playing on youth hockey teams or for someone who's playing themselves on a beer league team or anything, how can they be a part of the solution? Yeah, be a better person themselves. If they're not, just understanding. And and uh, when they see uh, uh, unfairness, um, step up, say something. You know, because uh, 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 I'm playing the beer league there and then it's a new team. I played the one game and they wanted me to, um, to come and join them for... Uh, a beer afterwards in the pub so yeah a couple of guys are my friends on that team and they wanted me to join their team so I was kind of late meeting them and there's a couple of guys that weren't there didn't know I was on the team type of thing so the table was long I was at the end and we were talking and that one guy he didn't notice I was there and then he goes hey there's a freaking black guy that came into the bar the other day and uh, and, and then he saw me and he, he changed his tune so I know there's two different conversations when I'm there and when I'm not there. And I know those people respect me, they're friends with me. And, and one of the things that, uh, uh, you know, I, I always said when I played, let's say I played in Utica and then there was another black guy or French guy in the other team. They would, they would say FN French guy, or they used to call them frogs or FN N word on a guy. And I would turn to my team and say, Hey, I'm sitting, standing beside you. Oh no, you're not like them. Well, you're more like us. What is that supposed to mean? I'm more like, us. you know, do you know that guy over there? You know? So, um, yeah, that's what it is. There's a different conversation when uh, I'm there and there's another conversation when I'm not there. And it, it, that's life. And then I don't want a new generation to go through that. Our voices are so important to stand up when our colleagues and our friends and our loved ones are being persecuted against because someone else might be in that room that you're not. And that's when it's the most important that they mm-hmm. speak up and they stop this now. Claude, we could talk to you for absolutely hours and we will most likely have you back very soon to (laughs) continue these conversations because what you have talked about today has been so important because we might not experience what you do, the experience in your life and what you have in hockey, but that doesn't mean it didn't happen. And that doesn't mean it's not important for all of us to know. So 
from the bottom of our hearts, we do want to thank you for your vulnerability and for sharing these stories with us. And we implore those listening to this call to make sure that you're being the best teammate and citizen that you can be. And Claude, thank you for sharing all this time with us. Amen. Thanks. A pleasure. We want to thank once again so much, Claude Vilgrain, for joining us today on the Speak of the Devils podcast. Obviously, a lot of important subject matters that needs to be addressed and an incredible story, life story beyond just, you know, the situation with race and, and the things he had to deal with, but just obviously got to play in the National Hockey League, just this little kid from Quebec trying to make it. And he got there, he got to play in the Olympics, uh, just a personal story of triumph and achievement. And I mean, the one that sticks out to me that I'll touch on is that after that first game in juniors, just going back to his billets and sitting in the room wondering if he can do it and to persevere over that and to represent his country in the Olympics is just, I mean, that says it all and that speaks it all. So I don't think I can top it any better than that. So once again, we thank Claude Bilgrain for joining us. For Catherine Bogart, I am Sam Kassan. This has been Speak of the Devils podcast presented by RWJ Barnabas Health, the official health care provider of the New Jersey Devils. We'll catch you next time.